You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. Welcome to the Vicious Circle. I'm Rob. Sid and I got behind the eight ball this week and uh, did not get our episode done. And uh, so what we decided, because we want you guys to still have the uh, the entertainment out there. He did an interview about a month or so ago with Chad Zumick. Uh, he has a podcast. It's called Sit Down, Sit Down Zumick Podcast. And uh, he was a guest on that show and they sent us the audio. And so we thought we would present it to the listeners of the Vicious Circle. So uh, sit back, relax, enjoy. All right, on the hotline, we have legendary professional wrestling heavyweight champion legend, Sid Udy. Now, Sid, what form of Sid do you like? Vicious, Justice, or Psycho? This just goes Sid Vicious. All right, I like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't know if you were briefed on this, but uh, as, yeah. a, as a young man, you were a big impact in my... Uh, in my uh, young years, just watching you on WCW, I remember the earlier years with you tag teaming with Dangerous Dan Spivey. That's when I first became aware with uh, with you. Right. What happened there was uh, I had met Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert was uh, one of the bookers in WCW at the time. They brought me in, and then he came up with the idea to put me with Danny Spivey. I was really inexperienced at the time and just learning everything. I hadn't been in the business maybe right about a year. So idea about putting me with Danny, put me with somebody who's really smart, knows the business, you know, and I won't go into a long detailed story, but Danny pretty much and Eddie too, held my hand and put me in the right direction to do the right things to be successful in in the wrestling business. And that's, that's, that was Danny's part. And Danny had a big part of me being successful as well. That's also when, like, tag teams were, like, pretty awesome back in the day. Like, you had the Steiner Brothers, the Road Warriors. Like, the tag teams then, compared to now, were way better, in my opinion. Well, you had the Freebirds. You had Rocco Express. It just goes on and on, you know. Powers of Pain. Um, you know, Stan Hansen and Vader, they tagged up sometime. Me and Stan tagged up sometime. It was a uh, Dr. Death and uh, Steve, uh, what was it, um, Gordy. Uh, what was his first name? Anyway, one of the free birds. Yeah. Terry, Terry Gordy. Uh, Terry, Terry Gordy, right. Uh, just a man, like I said, it was just, they were everywhere. Great tag teams everywhere. Yeah, you know, and uh, around that time, that's when I started really watching. And I remember just wearing out the VHS tapes because you could rent those old pay per views, I remember. And then I right. remember when you joined the Four Horsemen. That was a big deal to me because it was you and Brian Pillman, if I remember correctly. You know, I don't remember Brian being in it. Um, back, it was me, Barry, Arn, and Rick. It was. It was Barry Windham. I'm sorry, because he was eventually in it, like, when it was in its last carnation. You're right. It was right. Barry Windham. I think, I think you're right, yeah. 
But that's what, like when I was at the time as a young man just watching wrestling going, oh, man, this is my favorite. And I still remember your WWE debut, like when you came in WWF at the time. I was like kind of pissed off you changed your last name to Justice. I was like, it's vicious, man. Yeah, that was uh, Vince and him. They just uh, weren't comfortable to use that name. Why, I don't know. Um, but still, it just never did feel the same. Now, I know a lot of wrestling nerds are going to be mad at me because I, you know, I don't, like, I stopped it, like, when the wars were over. Like, I still kind of tap in every now and then. I'm friends with a couple of the guys. But I've, I considered your heyday the best. Almost like right now they're airing The Last Dance on ESPN about Michael Jordan, like the early 90s. I think basketball, music, wrestling, it was all at the best. Call me an old guy, like, back in my day. But back in my day, stuff was better. No, I think you're right. I think um, sometimes when we see the popularity reaches height, I don't think in, in all sports popularity is, is not as popular now as it was back then. Uh, everything was more fun. College basketball, everything. I don't know what's taking some of the pizzazz out of it. Um, but, again, you're right. I think, I think, you know, we look back at you know Chicago Bulls. That was, uh, like you said, that's a, you can't beat six you know championships in a row. Um it's hard to argue with what you just said. But even like you just said college basketball, I used to be able to name players like Christian Leitner. And I don't even know who plays for who now at this point. No, me too. Yeah. And I watch college basketball religiously. It's just, they, everything changes so fast now. Yeah. What's your squad? Did you play ball? Cause you're a big dude. No, I played a little bit in high school, um, football, basketball, and baseball, but never in college. Now, you know, I, I tell you, that I go for uh, for tradition. You know, I was always a Indiana Bob Knight fan when I was younger, and then um, I started betting on basketball the year the NC State won it all. Oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't know who NC NC State was, but uh, I started. You know, I played. I bet every game from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, every game that was played, and uh, you just get to know those teams after a while, even if you don't see them play, and. Um, at the end there, I realized what it was. They was missing Derek Wittenberg with all those losses. So I jumped on them, man, and took them all the way to the national championship and got nine and a half points. And actually, that was one guy straight up that they would win, and they won, of course, by that last basket. Uh, so when you get involved in something like college basketball, you know, to me, that was the greatest year of college basketball, what I'm talking about right now. So, um, But again, it, it's, when you get hooked on something like that, then it's it's easy to follow it the rest of your life. Yeah, at the time, I was like a big Florida State guy. I loved Bobby Sura, Charlie Ward, Sam Cassell. So I remember all those old squads, and you filled out those brackets, and like you said, I'm throwing down money. Like, you're invested in it. Well, I never bet more than $5 a game in the beginning of the year because I didn't know any of the teams. But if you bet every game, you got to change the point spread one point one way or the other. And trust me, um, when you get – and you start betting on college basketball and it gets to the last, you know, middle season on, it's weird how those games come within a half a point. It's just unreal. And that's what's so good about putting $5 on a game <laughs> is that, man, in college basketball, you're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. And, again, you just – it um, you don't know. To I mean, four seconds can seem like 30 minutes, uh, you know, in college basketball. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's that's what's exciting about it for the you know, I'm a big hoops dude for sure, but uh, you know, 
I lost a lot of money because of basketball. So, but it it, can, it does make it exciting. It does. <laughs> now you said you played football. Did you go to school? Because I know I saw some interview with you on YouTube that you were trying out for the XFL before you got into wrestling. Is that true? It wasn't XFL. It's the USFL. That's when uh, Reggie White played for the Showboats. Uh, actually, Lex Luger. A lot of people don't know that played for the Showboats. Uh, that was the. That's, I guess that was Donald Trump's league that didn't last, but I think one season, two seasons, something like that. Yeah, that's right. They had a, a walk-on trial here in Memphis, and I went to it. And then I think it was actually two years, and then I got invited to the Houston Gamblers, which which USFL as well, and they told me there, the coach said, man, this, this thing is fixing to fold. If we had thought the thing was going to last, we would have kept you. And so – then I started exploring about getting uh, a walk-on scholarship at one of these you know, small colleges like Arkansas State. And then this way I met Randy Savage and, and uh, Hillbilly Jim and Lanny Poffo at a gym over in Memphis. And then the rest is history. What position did you play? Tight end? Like what? Like you're like what? I played defensive end and running back. Believe it or not. Oh, you're a fast guy. Yeah. Well, you were an agile dude, too, because you could always do those, like, jump up from your feet. So you had some athletic ability, for sure. Well, that all comes from, believe it or not, uh, you talk about nip-up and stuff like that. That came from taking gymnastics. That was from boxing a little bit when I went to a school called St. Michael's, a Catholic school here in West Memphis. But, um, no, I, I, but no um, so when people see me do the nip-up, that's where I learned it, is taking gymnastics and gymnastics and any Golden Glove program is pretty much a necessity. That's impressive. I'm I'm five foot nine and I can't do that. And your size, you're so agile. That was just it was really impressive to see at the time. Well, too, as I've got really, I guess, explosive, fast twitch muscles. Where, you know, I, even at 330 pounds, I ran a four eight. It was a four eight nine, but still four eight forty. I had the uh, longest broad jump, the highest vertical. Um, just real weird stuff like that, you know. Do you think at the time, if uh, if um, if the uh, I'm trying to I'm drawing a blank right now with the the um, just mixed martial arts in general, if that was a popular thing with Dana White and everything, would you have joined that? Would you have been interested in that? Yeah, I would have. Uh, one, I, I, you know, I know I'm, I'm, even today I still box pretty. That's what I do for training right now. I go to a boxing facility in Memphis called Memphis Judo and Jiu Jitsu, and they have a boxing facility in the back and i do all those footworks and the, the sleds and all that stuff for it's just uh, it's less wear and tear a lot of cardio but um uh, i've always had good hands I, I i would have loved had a chance to have done some freestyle wrestling i think i would have done I've, a few times i've participated in it with a few guys that were actually pretty good um i did pretty good so i think if i would have had a chance at that I would have loved to try that uh, mixed martial arts. I think a dream matchup would be you and Brock Lesnar, considering like how big he is. I think that would have been a great heavyweight bout, like both in wrestling and in the UFC. Right, I think both of them have been pretty good. Um, again, I know if, if in the perfect world, if I would have had a great collegiate beginning and then had just that little boxing I had, and then could have polished those together, I think I would have done pretty good. That's great. I mean, you're what are you in your late fifties at this point? Fifty nine, about as late as you can get. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. You're still at the boxing gym. That's awesome. Right. Of course, there's nothing open right now, but yeah, it's true. 
Now, you know, you said you're 59 years old and just, you know, honestly, I, I did a little homework on this and, you know, they, they have a list of professional wrestlers that have died before the age of 55 and it's just massive. I mean, you being a survivor and a guy to tell your story, I mean, when you take a look back on that, are you just like at all of what you've accomplished and do you have any good memories of some of the people that have passed? I'm not really, I'm not, I don't really think of myself, Chad, and all of what I did. It was, it was a lot of hard work. And if you want to have something in the world, you just have to work hard. So I don't think I did anything special um, to, you know, accomplish things. I, I mean, I know I, I worked harder than most people did to accomplish things I did, but that's just, that's for me. And I don't think a lot about it. I do think about what you said, the second part of some of the guys that passed away. And I've got really, I won't go into it right now, uh, write a book about some of these things. Um, not, not just about that, about my life as a child and my wrestling career, but some of the stories about that. And I do want to write a book just about that. Um, if I could get some more stories about people, um, how their last month or last year was stuff like that. But I'll tell you, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to beat anybody down, but I was watching that dark side of the ring. Oh yeah. About Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. And this is where, uh, Chad bothers me. I could give you at least five or six people. I know personally that this happened to, and Eddie, Eddie Guerrero's wife said this, and I'm not downing anyone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, you know, she was leaving Eddie there possibly on the second or third, overdose and said something in a, in a, in a sort of uh, in a way I, I can't word for word but it's like I hope he is painless or I hope you know something like you know okay you know he's dying stop and help him you know um, and I know that there's a lot of people that did that that passed like that um, personally that I know of some of their stories that all it had to be was just a phone call, and maybe that could have been a different outcome. Um, but tragically, it wasn't. You know, did you had a lot of injuries in your career. Did you ever experience a concussion or PTSD or anything like that? Yeah, I think I have. I don't like talking about it, but um, I know now I have just a little bit of problem. Of course, it didn't help to be 59. But, um, you know, that – and I'll tell you something, too, and I won't go into it, but um, – they say this, if you miss an hour's sleep in a week and miss a meal in a week, and that happens for two or three weeks, and um, that the first forms of stress. And if that continues happening, then you have one little silly thing happen, maybe like a just a, um, an argument with someone or a small accident that didn't really amount to anything. You could be then in the first forms of simple depression. Now, I'm not trying to beat down the doors of any uh, starting thing here. But again, knowing that that's what doctors say, because they said that to me, okay, mm-hmm. that you can't help to think that there's a ma- big majority of people in the business, not just guys, but the women too, that have to be suffering from some forms of simple depression. And I think from that went to the other things, and I think that's why you see all these accidental overdoses. You know, I mean, I've been public about mine on radio and podcasts about talking about what I've gone through with depression and dealing with that. So right. you take the physical aspect of that and just the amount of banging and all that. I mean, I watched that Aaron Hernandez documentary, and it's just there's something there. There's something to be said about that. No, there really is, um, Chad. Of course, you or I aren't doctors. We don't know what's going on, but we, we've both experienced a little bit. And like you, like myself, we have, I guess, both uh, dealt with depression. And uh, I you know I even 
I volunteer myself to go to my own counselor about once every couple of weeks just to have someone to talk to, if, just to find out if, you know, if um, some of the things I'm thinking or just be sure they're right. Um, be sure I'm not making the wrong decision because when you're in depression, they say you're not supposed to make a simple decision to find a used vehicle. So knowing the doctors have told me that, I'm not trying to make any mistakes. So I'll ask the doctor to be sure I'm making the right decisions. No, that's exactly. And it's it's one of those things that you constantly got to monitor. You can't just, you're just like one day, like, okay, I'm healthy. No, you got to continue to work at it. Just like if you were like working on your cardio, you got to just continue to maintain that. So that's great that you're doing it. No, you have to, Chad. And I think everybody, um, not everybody, but I think the majority of people, as we get older, that something is always going to be there. We're having to learn how to deal with just simple things. There are bodies slowing down, you know. Uh, the heart slows down. Everything starts slowing down. we got to learn how to deal with that. And we've got to recognize that it's not the end of the world. That's part of it. Pick yourself up. Take another step forward and keep moving on. Now, the parallels between wrestlers and comics are so similar. I'm, I'm, I went to college with Dolph Ziggler, Nick Nemeth, and I just did a show with him in Minnesota like two years ago, and we talked about how it's so nomadic. We're flying around hotels. And after a while, it just takes a toll on you. Like, I'm 16 years into stand-up comedy, and, like, I just want to, like, I feel like I did a good job. I had a great career. I almost want to, like, check out on the other half. At one point, I know your last match was in 2017 where you were like, I'm good. This was, I did everything I could do. I left it all in the ring. Right. Like, was there a point where you were just like, you know, I'm good. Like, I, I did, I, there's nothing else I, ha- I can prove at this point. Well, no, there was something I did want to prove. Uh, right after I got back from breaking my leg, I was trying to figure out what I could do. Just couldn't get a, the thing worked out with the WWE. Uh, couldn't get them to even answer the phone. So, but uh, but I've gotten over that now. I'm not really worried about that anymore. So, I'm like you. I, I wanted to get out before I broke my leg. I just wanted to get out. I wanted to finish my career. I didn't want to just leave it in the middle of limbo like that, you know. I wanted to come up with an idea to finish off to really just, you know, try to think of the best ending of a career that anyone could have thought of. And I thought, I think I really had a pretty good one, but again, I never got a chance to uh, exercise it. So, but still, no, at this point now, I, I don't really think about the negatives. I'm just, I'm glad to be where I'm at today. And, and, and I've got my grandson now and, and that is more important than all the wrestling stuff in the world congratulations by the way now you. now your two sons I, I think one of your sons is wrestling according to my research is that true no uh what happened was i did a documentary that i put in film festivals called the promotion i did a little film uh i like filming making projects like that and doing projects like that and uh i needed someone to stand in as a character i used to wrestle as lord humongous and he did that for me and that was the extent of that oh okay. he did a good job of it though I love how those those folklores just take like they just create their own things like w- like one of the questions I said on my uh, social media I'm interviewing you today and everyone the number one question was ask him about softball it was like the number one question <laughs> like are you supposed to be some unbelievable softball player Yeah I used to be um pretty good um uh now what happened there was um like there was a couple situations my life during the wrestling career that called for a little time off. One is after my lung surgery. And um, so 
that's, you know, I guess doing a lot of softball playing while I was rehabbing, you know, the people started picking up on that. Then there was another time that I was in between contracts and I played a little softball and people thought I actually took time off to play softball, which was not true, you know, uh, but I did enjoy playing softball. You were kind of like the Michael Jordan of softball. You like were <laughs> moonlight. No, dude, I was the, I was the Babe Ruth. There's a big difference. <laughs> I, I like Michael Jordan, okay, but he's not Babe Ruth, uh, and not you know Babe Ruth is just that's the name that means you're the best at everything. Uh, he was a good pitcher and a, and a hitter, but no. Um, and then basketball is basketball, but no, I could hit. I, I remember a couple seasons. I had more home runs than all other teams combined. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and what this, this was a league you were in? Yeah. <laughs> you were you were the original Bash brother. You were you're like uh Canseco McGuire just going deep. Almost every time, man. <laughs> and I didn't count them either, Chad. I'm not bragging, but I didn't count them unless they went over the lights, not over the fence, but over the lights. You know, if I didn't hit it over the lights, I wouldn't I wouldn't impress. That's hilarious. So there was like like rumors that you would like take time off for the softball league. Is that true? I just said no. I, the people said that, but I never did. Oh, they okay. No, no. <laughs> uh, it just seemed like that one was an injury where I had a, a lung repaired, and I was waiting to put some weight back on, and I was playing softball. I actually came back to work. They said, no, go back home and put some, weight back, some more weight back on. I lost a lot of weight during my lung surgery. And then um, – one time I was in between contracts, but it seemed like that, but that wasn't the case. Okay. Now I want to go back to, you said your son sent, st- stood in for you in a documentary uh, and he was playing Lord Humongous. And that was actually one of your first characters in wrestling. And it just, it's weird how wrestling kind of bit off the road warrior a lot. The, the Mel Gibson movie. Like they took a lot right. of the, like even the road warriors. They were like kind of that one. I forgot the name of the character or the actor that played them, but that seemed like it was a big inspiration for a lot of characters in wrestling. Right. No, I guess it was a few of us, but not not major, not as far as the average of all the people in the business. But no, there was a few people that played off of it. Now, when you get to WCW, do you get to be Sid Vicious? Is that something you come up with? Is that your creation, or is it like Eric Bischoff? I don't know who was running the the thing. No, it was it was uh, Eddie Gilbert and Kevin Sullivan were the main two uh, people in charge at the time. And actually, I had left Continental as Lord Humongous and went to Memphis and came up with a character named Sid Vicious. My wife had got me a black bass and black chaps from Sears and Roebuck, cost 45 bucks. And uh, and then I cut my hair real short and put some cream, uh, some some brill cream in it, slicked it back. That was the first version of Sid Vicious. And then um, started from there, and then get called into WCW, and Sid Vicious took off. Now, when do you buy the body glove sleeve elbow? sleeve after i tear my bicep <laughs> okay that's what i remember when i was because it was body gloves like i want one of those <laughs> yeah <laughs> now are you in memphis now i live outside memphis right across the state line in marion arkansas okay are you cool with jerry lawler because i know he lives out there right yeah we get along pretty good you ever riding his batmobile <laughs> no <laughs> Are there wrestlers that uh, from the business you still keep in touch with, or are you just like, you know, I got my family. It was back in the day. It is what it is. No, I keep in touch with a few guys that, that, that I started up with, and then I call got, you know, a couple guys like Carl Willett up in Montreal that we used to ride together in WWF, and, and I see a lot of these guys, these autograph signings, and I'll get their numbers and call them back once in a while. Do you get a kick out of like guys like me who are just like, 
you were part of our childhood. Like you take us back to a memory. Like I can still remember sitting in front of the TV. I mean, there's got to be a million of me coming up to you at these autograph signings. No, that to me right now is probably, maybe I'm more shocked right now that people still remember me more than, than I was say back in my heyday. Um, that people, it really, this it means more to me now than it ever has. Well, I just had John Schneider on my podcast. He was Bo Duke on the Dukes of Hazard. Right. And we were talking about TV back in the day. Even like in the 90s and late 80s, there wasn't a lot of channels. Cable was there, so the WWF and WCW was huge. It was on all the time. Right. You had WTBS. That, and I remember it was a Turner thing, but even up north where I grew up, it was always on cable. So I constantly watched you. Like Even when I didn't want to watch, it was on. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to ask a couple more, but this is one of this is coming from a fan, Jeremy. He wanted to know uh, your favorite person to wrestle and least favorite. Uh, man, there's just so many favorites. I'll go with a couple. You know, uh, people are probably tired to hear this, but Bam Bam Bigelow is probably my most favorite. Uh, I like big guys. I like him and um, uh, Vader were so much fun to work with. And then people like, uh, Shawn Michaels and Sting, that style was, their style was, those two guys are probably most favorite right there. And then um, some of the most least favorite would probably be, oh, man. Um, probably the Warrior. I read that. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. That That is the least, I mean, as far as someone's supposed to be a top guy, you know, you could say, I could come up with a million underneath guys, but. Someone who's supposed to be a top guy, that would be my least favorite. He was horrible. <laughs> horrible. Yeah, he, t- he wasn't technically savvy in the ring. <laughs> that, he was just mentally not savvy. Either. It was like he talked to the ceiling when we were talking over spots. And I thought one time maybe I was being filmed in the locker room. It was just me and him. I go, is someone filming me listening to this guy, you know? Like you were being punked? Yeah, I thought that's what it was. And I went out and talked to Jack Lance. I said, man, is this real? And he looked at me, too, like, man, I guess he knew how weird this guy was. And, uh, and I said, man, uh, that's actually when I gave my notice with the WWF. I, I said, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> you had enough. I really did. I went home and didn't go back. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. And the one question, I, I wanted to save this one for the last because you're going to love it. I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but... I need, I need, because I've watched it a million times on YouTube. I need some backstory to the great segment of all time on Flair for the Gold with the Shockmaster himself. Like, what the hell happened there? What were you thinking? I mean, were you laughing? Like, can you give me some inside perspective on I the Shockmaster? I'm going to give you inside scoop. During that day, that, that day during rehearsal, we were sitting there. They, this before they had the wall up. They just had the two by four studs on the floor and the, on the you know, standing upright where the wall would be. And um, he said, yeah, Fred's going to come walking right through here, blah, blah, blah. I said, you think it might be a good idea to um, knock out that uh, two-by-four stud? He might trip on that on the way through, even that the wall is supposed to open up, you know? Yeah. And um, they did. They said, man, you don't know what you're talking about. And so that's exactly what happened. And if you, if you listen really carefully, you can hear me say in the background, I told you so. Uh, and people hear that all the day. A lot of people hear that. So if you look, listen really careful, you'll hear me say, I told you so. And you'll see us. We just kept walking like there was nothing wrong, you know. 
how did you not break character? Because it cuts back to you, and you're still intense. Like, how do you stay in the moment? Well, because I'd already, I told him, you know, that afternoon around two o'clock that that was going to happen. So it wasn't a shock. <laughs> he, he didn't shock you. The shock master never shocked you. <laughs> no, you know, I just saw that last night after uh, he was doing something on after the uh, um, dark side of the ring, and they showed that. And actually, that's the first time I've seen it that clearly. And uh, that was pretty horrible. It's a complete mess. Davy Boy Smith has his back to the camera. It's a horrible right. segment, the whole thing. And then they got that. Who did that terrible voiceover? Because I, you said uh, Fred did the actual Shockmaster. Uh, Ole Anderson. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> From top to bottom, it was a mess. They have a, He's wearing a Stormtrooper glittered helmet, and he's wearing blue jeans. Right. <laughs> that was a Dusty Rhodes idea. <laughs> oh man, it's one of those those great stories, though. It's the you you got to look back and laugh, like you said, you saw it and you were laughing. Right. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm gonna wrap this thing up, but before I do, are you a fan of comedy stand up? Do you like stand up comedy? I used to be. It's been so long since I've watched any stand up comedy, you know. But um, I just haven't don't get a chance to go out and watch that kind of stuff anymore but I used to be okay because you're a funny guy and those I don't know if you ever had any kind of because a lot of these rustlers when they can't do it anymore like I did a gig with Mick Foley like these guys go out and they they do a good job with that I didn't know if that was any interest on your end to go do some storytelling sometimes you know I think I'm I mean I make when I want to make people laugh I can make people laugh so but it's something I thought about a little bit so maybe if I do we'll get back with you all right there you go well, I can't thank you enough for your time, and uh, you know you're a legend in the business, and it's it's really cool to talk to my heroes, and I, I can't wish you nothing but the best, you and your family, and I'm I'm glad this happened, and uh, thank you for your time. You too, man. Thanks for having me. All right, Sid. Yeah. You too, buddy. My time is yours. And our question this week is from Steve in Toronto. Steve, what's your question? My question for you, Sid, is that everyone has a promo style. Now, I would like to know. How did you come up with your promo style or the way and your cadence and the way you spoke? Be honest with you, I used a little bit of everybody and I, I did a lot of reading. And like if I and I'd read different kind of books too. Where one book I read almost every day, people don't believe this, was a daily devotional from Billy Graham. And it wasn't a lot in there, but the little bitty things I did pick up on it's like when he was meeting someone when they were dying. Those are words that when so you talk to someone right before they're dying, those are words you're gonna remember, right? So if I use something like that out of his devotional, that devotional, those were things people always remember. They'll come up to me and go, you remember that interview? That was probably from one of his books. Or I read a lot of horror books because Sid Vicious was a scary guy. Then I put in there a little bit of Hannibal Lecter and a little bit of Johnny Cash and, and sort of mixed it all together and then came up to what I thought was working too, is like be able to control the camera when you're looking at it you know, and be able to bring the people in by either quieting down or screaming or reaching out to them, you know, to bring them into you, uh, things like that. So you're just experimenting. And that's something I wanted to do is a, in the wrestling business, I wanted all facets of my character, you know, as best as I could do. So I could do the best interview or look the best or, you know, uh, just everything, you know what I mean? So that's, I thought, you know, and we all know this interviews are a very, very important part of your character. So uh, that's something I really worked on. Excellent. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. 
Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.